0: Hey guys, a few days after recording this episode and on the exact day I was going to release this episode, Northern New South Wales and Queensland were hit hard by flooding. This area is special to me. I've lived there and I've trained there and I love it. It's also where today's co-host Tim Reid lives. Throughout the week, Reedy has been sending me pictures, telling me about how many people have been left homeless and opening my eyes to just how bad it is. If you're like me and have seen the devastation through social media or the news or, or you live there yourself, I assume your first instinct is to want to help. So together, I figured, let's use this podcast to help. I've gone away and spent the week where I I would have released the episode to design and create the first ever batch of How They Train Merch. It's a t-shirt called The Steve. It's a reference to the famous quote from episode 10 with Steve McKenna. If you can't get a boner, you're training too hard. I love that line. 100% of sales from the t-shirt will go directly to helping people whose lives have been affected by the floods. I've dropped pictures of the t-shirts on today's Instagram post for you to check out. I hope you like them because I I really did put a lot of thought and effort into making them. I hadn't drawn anything since about year nine art, I don't think. I I literally couldn't remember the last time I picked up a a texter or a pencil. The link to buy them will be in the How They Train Instagram bio or if you don't have Instagram, it will be in the description of today's podcast episode. So if you've ever gotten value from the podcast and want to help, like I said, 100% of your purchase will go towards helping people who have been affected. The number of shirts is still pretty limited. I bought as many as I could afford, but that's still a pretty small number compared to what I wish I could have. So you'll also be one of the few people to be able to say you own the exclusive Steve t-shirt, the first ever bit of merch made for the How They Train podcast. Anyway, enjoy today's episode. It's one of my favorites yet. Uh, hey, Hoff, who do you reckon uh, would win in a fight you or
1: <laughs> I mean, he is the angry gnome, but I would definitely kick his ass. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to How They Train. Today, I'm joined by American professional triathlete, Ben Hoffman. Ben is probably best known for his second place finish in the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. Um, I, I definitely think about that when I think of, about the Hoff, but I also think about a guy who gets it right when it matters. If the Hoff's on a start line in a big race, you know he's prepared for it. He's not a guy who who does things by halves from what I've heard and what I know, and, and so you know, if you think back to his big wins at Ironman South Africa or, or some of his performances at the Ironman World Championships, you know, that's what I think of when I think of Ben. Um, and I'm also really lucky to be joined by good friend and, and co-host for the first ever time on how they train, Tim Reid. Tim's a professional triathlete in his own right and, and a 70.3 world champion and if you're a listener to this podcast, you probably know him just like I do from being the first ever guest I, I had on on the podcast. So it's really special to have him uh, joining me in, in the co-hosting chair, and I'm excited about that. Boys, it's, uh, it's a real honor to have you both on. How are you doing today?
1: Yeah, doing really well. It's, uh, it's an honor to be on here, and I'm excited to have a chat with you guys. So thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Um,
2: same deal, an honor to co-host with you, and I'm pretty excited to get Ben on because like you said... Just that athlete who really does seem to get it right on the big days and um, can really just train through other races and it doesn't seem to phase him and just the way he puts it together for the races that count, that excites me and I'm, I'm pretty keen to find out more about it.
0: Hey, Hoff, when we when we both say that, when when you hear me and, and Tim say that, that you're a guy who gets it right when it matters on, on big race days, do you agree with that? Is that also how you see yourself?
1: Well, no doubt you're referencing my seventh place finish, um, in Memphis last year (laughs) when I was battling with Reedy. Um, yeah, actually just slogging through the marathon a week after, after racing in, um, Chattanooga. No, I, I, I agree with that. I do think, you know, um, typically what I've done is I've put a big emphasis on two Ironmans every year and, and most of those have gone really well. And definitely, you know, one of them out of the two is usually Ironman Hawaii. So, I've definitely had some failures out there, but, you know, I've also had four top 10 finishes and yeah, and a runner up, like you said. Um, so typically when it comes to Ironman distance, especially, uh, you know, I tend to show up prepared and and execute pretty well in the day.
0: And what is it about you that that makes that possible? Is it is it just that you can only mentally get up for for two races a year, or is it that when you do sort of um, train specifically for one thing, you you can just get it right? Or what makes you the person who who can get up for those two races every year?
1: I mean, it's a really great question that I'm not sure I have a perfect answer to. I mean, you're asking me to be you know um, awfully introspective here, and right off the bat, and I would say. Yeah, I don't know exactly what, what that's about. Um, I guess maybe it is that way. I, I feel like I have <clears throat> in the past maybe not been quite as good at holding the really high level all year long. And I don't know if that's because I get distracted by other things in my life or, um, you know, I, I really don't know the answer to it. But typically, yeah, I've just been really good at picking one goal and, and focusing on it. But it it seems to be, again, you know, something that I can only do for whatever reason, a couple of times a year. Um, and that's, that's not an excuse. I mean, there's been other times when I've tried maybe to do a little bit more and it just hasn't panned out for me. So that's sort of where, where I've ended up in the last, you know, uh, five or six years of my career and it's been pretty effective. So yeah, I've I've not really played around with it too much, but uh, long winded answer. I, yeah, I've never been that athlete that, you know, you see like a Javier Gomez that goes out or a Jan that wins every race they do um, or shows up prepared to win every single race. It's usually just one or two big ones a year for me.
2: And Ben, I'm assuming the two key races for this year, St. George, the Ironman World Championships in May, which is a uh, makeup world championships for last year. And then obviously Kona in October. That's correct. I assume.
1: Yeah. And I I do, I have qualified for both of those. So I, I've kind of I was able, actually, at the end of last year, to kind of, you know, <laughs> I mean, unofficially, officially, kind of come out and say that this is probably one of my last really focused seasons of racing, and and it's kind of perfect that it lines up this way, where um, you know I'm able to have the two world championships, which is pretty unique. Um, and in a normal year, I would probably pick an early season Ironman and target it, just like I have with South Africa, or you know, back in the day when they had Ironman St. George, or Yeah, I've always kind of done one of those April or May Ironman events. Um, So this works out pretty well in my typical schedule, but it's nice to have them both be world champs. And um, again, this is kind of probably one of my last ultra serious years before I start to wind it down a little bit. And you, like I mentioned in the um, sort of the questions that
2: I sent through to you that I was thinking of asking that you're pretty old now. So (laughs) you're one of the few athletes that would actually have raced St. George as an Ironman. I don't know if there'd be anyone else in the field that's done that. Do you think that's that in itself will be a big advantage um just knowing how that race can how brutal it can be as an Ironman
1: yeah I do although I would say well first of all let's not just gloss over the fact that I'm actually the defending champion um, from 2012 <laughs> um so you know not not a lot of people are probably talking about that <laughs> and, and maybe they shouldn't be but uh yeah, no, I, uh, I did win it in 2012. The last time I did it in 10, 11 and 12 when it was a full distance Ironman. I've been there virtually every year for the half as well, except for, I think, one year when I was injured in 2018 um, after trying to race Cape Epic. So I know the area well, but I would say that <clears throat> I've been interviewed a couple of times about this and, you know, I, I, my answer is that, you know, I think the people that have done well there as a 70.3 distance will also probably do well. They know the area, they know what kind of terrain and weather conditions can be. Um, and obviously the people that win that race, cause it's been a championship race every year, um, are high level athletes that are probably being really prepared for this Ironman. Um, so I'm not sure that I have a really super special advantage. Um, but I do have good vibes from being there and winning the Ironman. And, and I think it's going to be, you know, probably a pretty hellacious day all around. Um, even if we have pretty good weather. So that tends to suit me and I'm, I'm kind of a strong man racer.
0: Hey, Hoff. Outside of yourself and obviously like you have to go into a big championship race thinking that, that you're the man to beat and and that you're going to win, but outside of yourself, who do you think are the guys that are going to, you know, really compete for the the St. George uh, world champs? Is it going to be the same guys who will then again compete to, to win, you know, in Kona or, or the guys who did in Kona last time the world champs were around?
1: I think largely, yes, but I would say that there are going to be different dynamics for a variety of reasons. Um, the bike course overall will be more challenging just from a profile perspective. So I think for really strong cyclists, they'll have, you know, potentially a little bit more of an advantage there and more possibility to, yeah, put time into the better runners and, and even better swimmers. Um, but that said, the swim is going to be wetsuit, which is definitely different than we see in Hawaii. So that could mean that the immediately right off the bat, the pack dynamics could be totally different. Um, people that wouldn't maybe be there as close in Kona might be right in the mix right away or very close to it. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely not going to be, you know, 88 or 90 degrees with 60% humidity. Um, we know that. So yeah, I think it will be the very top guys, Jan Verdeno, um, you know, Alistair Brownlee, if he's healthy, um, a handful of other guys for sure that have proven that they can perform at the world championship level. They just know what to do, right? I mean, they know mentally and physically how to prepare for the big events, and they'll do their research and probably prepare really well. So, overall, I think yes, but I do think the door will be open for maybe some other people that wouldn't normally do as well in Hawaii.
0: And Reedy, really, if I had to put that that same like question back to you, who and and maybe try and go out on a limb in a way that Hoff can't, who do you think are the people to beat, and and who do you expect to see up there in the, in the top five?
2: It's interesting. I think with Hawaii, you know, obviously the heat is what really brings people undone in that last half of the run. And if you've over you pay the price, but having some pretty decent climbs in the race, actually, I don't think there's much where you're ever going flat. Is there Hoff? Um Not really. No. It's a different sort of, uh, I think you're going to see some guys potentially with more Ironman experience like Hoff and other guys, I think, not panic, you know, 90K, 120K into the bike if there's a big gap. I I expect to see the experienced Ironman athletes just work their way through the field. And I think what we see uh, two-thirds through the bike could be a very different picture, two-thirds through the run. So I'm actually really excited about um the dynamics in that race and um I guess my question still sticking with those two races Hoff is how would you how will your prep differ you know in terms of if you've thought about it yet yeah, you might have pushed Kona aside for a while but will you do a different structured prep um for the race in May for St George or will, you, will it be the same as what you would do for Kona
1: I that's a great question and I there will be small variations overall I mean the structure will be pretty similar um But I think looking at number one, the weather conditions, uh, the, the heat preparation that I'll do, although I do sauna protocol for almost any race I do, whether it's going to be extremely hot or not, um, I'll do that, but it won't be, you know, I won't have that intense heat block that I do in August and September in Tucson, um, in preparation for that, you know, and, and so that'll definitely be different. Um, and it just it won't need to be i mean it's going to be a dry climate up there it may be 90 degrees or you know um whatever number that is in celsius that you guys use but um yeah i mean i you know i i think it could be hot but it's probably not going to be hot like kona so that'll be a big difference um not as much of an emphasis there and then the plan really for me um and this is kind of twofold that um, I'm going to kind of overemphasize the the bike because it typically actually does make me a stronger runner or a more capable runner when I build my bike volume and fitness. And it's also kind of a mental thing where, um, you know, I think over the last few years, the the level has certainly risen across the board um, and, and <clears throat> probably both male and female racing on the bike. So um, I'd like to really kind of emphasize that. And I think, as you said, I'm not going to panic. And I do think that it is an Ironman. It's a long day and the run is actually quite undulating there as well. So it's not to go all in on the bike and then, and have a poor run. But I do think that historically when I really put the emphasis on the bike, I end up being a good runner as well, um, off of that. So that's our plan for the first, you know, first part of the year to gain the confidence to put myself in the mix there. um, and maybe to put a little more emphasis on the bike, because if you look at that course, I really think that's going to be you know, probably the one that you need to highlight the most. And, and I remember seeing something from Mark Allen where he kind of had a similar take on it as well, that he thought, you know, even for the average age grouper that in their training cycle, it might be wise to, to emphasize the bike a little bit more.
0: Hey Hoff inside of, um, of this, is your training always just centered around you or do you, you know, do you sort of think to yourself, how is this race going to play out? Who's going to be there? Who's going to be doing what? And that dictates your training and And then do you use sort of some of your competitors to motivate you and and to drive your training? Like, fuck, I don't want to get beaten by that guy or fuck, I want to beat that guy. (laughs) Or is it all just me, me, me?
1: Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's all about me.com, you know, um, no, I, I think I, I really do. I think it's, it's professional and important to be aware of your, of your competition and, and really even to carry maybe a little bit of a, a chip on your shoulder sometimes, you know, I think getting motivation wherever you can get it is usually healthy. Right. I mean, if it's something that's eating away at you, um, what, what is it they say, right. When you carry a grudge, it's, you know, you're the one that's actually suffering it from it, not the other person. Um, so I try not to go too far down that path. It, it, it's ever been a super healthy one for me. And I might be a little bit of a vanilla answer, but I am aware of who's out there. And what I know is that, <laughs> and I mean, Kelsey can, can attest to this, my wife, you know, I mean, I, I certainly talk about other athletes and sometimes I get frustrated or annoyed by them, but at the end of the day, my best performances come when I do kind of just turn inward and focus on myself. And if I do the really good training and I get super fit, usually I find myself, you know, doing battle with, with the front runners in the race. So, um, yeah, that's kind of been my strategy historically. Uh, and, and it's surprising. Like the thing is you just don't know in racing. Right. I mean, like, Oh, uh, I don't know. I feel like, you know, I remember training with Chris McCormick in Hawaii a long time ago. I think it was 2009 before my first Ironman Hawaii and social media was just becoming a thing. And he was on Twitter all the time talking about training that we were doing and he would always exaggerate it. Right. Because, he knew that it would, he knew that it would throw people off. Right. Like, Oh, we just did a 200 K ride with a 30 K runoff, you know? And it was like, no, we didn't, we did 10 K, you know, like we did 10 K run off the bike. Um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you just don't know what people are doing and nobody rarely leading into a race to, you know, top level professionals, unless they're actually truly broken. Um, do they come out and say, if they have a little bit of a niggle or a serious injury, right? I mean, usually it's after the fact that they talk about it. So if you key off too much on people, you know, you have no idea what they've been doing in training, if they're actually healthy and, and then how they deliver on the day. So I think that's also another reason not to go too far down the road of paying attention to other people. Which
2: is quite interesting. I remember there was a time when every single session you did went up onto Strava and then just off the bat, you completely cut that off. Um, and you you said to me oh well, some people were copying my training and i remember following you on strava
1: thinking i would be dead if i copied your training <laughs> so- well it was mo- that. Was, that's a great you know it's something that actually people I, I get that a lot actually because i think people really enjoyed you know following along and um and, and i actually enjoyed it on on some level right i mean showing the training that i was doing i was proud of it and uh and i thought that it you know that it had the benefit sometimes of beating my opponents before i got to a race um and, yeah, I think the reason that I stopped doing that was it was kind of twofold, I guess. I mean, one was, again, like I told you that, yeah, there were some stories of, of other professionals that were copying it, and I didn't feel super threatened by that. I mean, you know, you never really should, right? One size does not fit all in training typically. and um, just because it was working for me, it might not necessarily work for someone else. But I think there were elements of it, and it almost kind of it, it, I think what happened was it's almost like you don't know until you know, right? Like sometimes, I can think back on my career and training with other professionals. And it was like, Oh, they're doing this. Like I never thought to do that, you know? And, and then I started doing it and I got better. And so I think sometimes it's like, (laughs) it's not that I'm trying to hide everything from everyone. I'm not trying to be that guy, but on, on the other hand, it's like, you know, you kind of, you start to, I'm not in the business of like making my competition better, you know, at least not yet. Uh, Maybe I'll coach or something one day. And even I think even if someone didn't copy the training, but they look at it. And
2: for someone like myself, I'd get a real kick up the ass of like, geez, look what Hoff just did. I better do half of that. You know. <laughs>
1: so <laughs> right.
2: In some ways you could you could also be motivating people, even if they're not copying the details. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. And I
1: and I mean, you know, and and then I guess the other point um and the reason why I kind of pulled it down was I felt a little conflicted, right? About and reedy, I mean, you do a fair bit of coaching and so I think you, this might, you might have a little bit of input here and maybe you have a different perspective, but I started working with Ryan Bolton and, you know, he was putting a lot of energy and he continues to put a lot of energy into my training and make it very specific and and focused just for me. And, uh, and I felt kind of weird about like putting it out there for everyone to see, you know, like this guy is working hard to give me a training plan. And then I'm just sharing it with everybody. Like, I mean that, you know, Again, not that it's necessarily going to work for them, but just just that entire concept also didn't feel entirely right to me. So, I think
2: that's the right thing to do too. Like, it is the coach's IP, and unless they've given specific permission, um, and it might not even be the complicated side of the training. It could just be a simple ten day out session that, but it can make up that one to two percent that can bring an athlete, you know, up to a winning performance that you don't want them to share with everyone. So, no, I think that's the right decision for sure.
0: I'm fascinated about that because, like to me, that doesn't seem so black and white. I mean, you say it, you put it like that, that like that's technically the coach's IP, and you go, yeah, well, of course, like you probably shouldn't share that. But, but then on the other side of it, it's sort of like, well, let, let's let's not even talk about professionals. Let's talk about say say like an age grouper. If if say Reedy, you were coaching an age grouper, and that age grouper comes to you as someone who already uses Strava, would you then expect them to stop using Strava?
2: Um, So I've just asked my athletes not to put the details up, you know, so Steve McKenna was always the worst. He would put very specifically what the session was. um, And I just said, post what you need to, but let's stop with the details because it's, it's not, you know, and it's not rocket science. Hoff knows that there's no, there's no quick way to get an easy way to get fast or to race really well. It's just hard work, but it's still just uh, some of the details you just don't necessarily want to just put all put out there for everyone to use. So,
0: yeah. And I, I probably owe you an apology there for getting Steve on the podcast and just asking him to give week <laughs> by week, every single session you've ever given him. <laughs> no,
1: <that's okay. laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, on one hand it's like, and, and I would say a final element that kind of just popped into my mind too, is that as I get older, I feel a little less inclined to do the chest beating right and like the the incessant navel gazing I mean we're already kind of very self-involved actually as triathletes and sometimes it just feels like you're you know it's kind of like hey look at me hey look at me look at what I did you know and you're just out there like I said chest beating a bit And, and and that just isn't the most attractive thing to me anymore I mean I I like a good you know ego stroke as much as anyone else but yeah. It just, uh, it starts to feel a little bit like that, right? Like, uh, yeah, you're just putting it on there to be like, look at how fucking good I am, you know, and look at the stuff that I did.
0: Yeah. Hey, Hoff, I've got one on this and I think maybe it's something Reedy can talk about as well. So you're coached by Ryan Bolton, who, who you know, I think also coaches a couple of other professionals, really notably um, Sam Long, who is a guy who does sort of promote what he does and and promotes you know the fact that he's coached by by ryan bolton and and look at look at how much we do do you see that and be like well fuck i want to do the same thing or does it it, does it sort of like or do you think like oh i wonder what ryan's giving him that he's not giving me and and like reedy do you have that sort of same thing with the multiple professionals you coach i'll
1: let hoff go first on that one (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, no, the, the, the short answer is no. I mean, I, I do see some of it, obviously. I mean, I know Sam, I consider him a friend and, uh, and I think he's an incredible athlete, you know, and I I have total respect for him as an athlete. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I want, if I really wanted to, you know, (laughs) I guess another, a quote that I carry around sometimes in my mind or like a statement, I guess, whatever, an adage is that, you know, comparison is the thief of joy, right? And so if you're spending all your time, once again, comparing yourself to whatever everybody else is doing, then you're probably not going to end up very happy. And and I, and one, you know, area that I hope we talk a little bit more about is when it comes to training, I think the kind of one of the final frontiers that doesn't get a lot of discussion sometimes is just creating a joyful athlete, right? Somebody who's happy. I mean, that's when I perform my very best is when I'm actually psyched and enjoying what I'm doing. And just everything in my life is kind of, you know, chirping as I like to say. So yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't feel that way. I mean, I think Sam probably feels a need to establish himself. He's younger for sure. He's just, he comes from a different generation. He's maybe a little bit more brash and, you know, a little bit more of that ilk. And Um, and it seems to be working for him you know he's he's performing really well he's obviously got great sponsorship now um, and he's coming up in the world right so everyone just kind of has their own way of doing it And you have to be comfortable with yourself and the way that you're doing things so no I don't I don't feel like it makes me feel like I need to do it too or that I'm really concerned about what Ryan might be giving him because we're just different athletes
2: yeah I love that point on um, just not comparing yourself to other athletes and Matt Dixon was really crucial for me to to do that personally, but also I've had athletes who are um, overly invested in what Lionel Sanders is doing or what <laughs> Ben Hoffman is doing, and you know these guys. And it's not the same situation for them. You know, I'm like, you're not training full time. You're not. You don't have the available rest time to absorb that. And uh, even pro athletes, you know, that are really good pro athletes. And I, I told them, look, I stopped following some of these guys because I couldn't relate to them, and it was nothing personal, but I didn't need to know that. They were getting five hours on the couch each day when you're running around picking up kids and doing drop-offs and things like that. So Ben only just, just remained in my follow list because he had a few kids right at the last minute. But <laughs> Otherwise, I would have been <laughs> blocked
1: for sure, yeah. You
2: would have been blocked for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just on the chest beating thing, Hoff, I would like you to beat your chest a little bit. Can you, without, you don't have to go into too much detail, but can you talk about, in your biggest Ironman weeks, what can you, what sort of training do you put in duration or uh, volume wise that, you know, what would be the biggest, biggest couple of weeks of your, your Ironman training block, just to put it in perspective when we talk about how you are a high mileage trainer, how you do do a lot of, a lot more than I was ever able to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I, and I've talked about this before. It's not something that I'm again, like trying to hide or, you know, be coy about at all. So I'm, I'm happy to discuss it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not even sure, you know, like I, you guys say this and I know I've been branded that way, but I, I guess I don't even really know. I mean, I think there's probably other people that train very similarly or or maybe more or very close to it. Um, but yeah, typically my, my biggest weeks, um, would come kind of at that, uh, three, yeah, three to four weeks out. So at that, at the three week mark, um, out from a, or sorry, two week out mark from a race. So, um, two weekends out so that I'd have one more weekend where it was kind of a little bit lighter. And then the race would be that, that following week. So I guess it's, is that two or three? It sounds like three, but it's actually two, I think. And, uh, anyway, this already makes me sound like, I don't know what I'm talking about. So I'm sorry about that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I would be doing somewhere in the neighborhood of probably about 35 or 36 hours of total training, or maybe just a touch more uh, on the, on the very biggest week. And that usually consists of about 22 or 23 hours of cycling um, and then about, you know, equally split between, you know, seven to eight hours of, of um, yeah, running and, and swimming and then a couple hours of strength. I think if the math works out close close to that. So, and the, the volumes, I mean, they vary depending on whether I'm doing a lot more, you know, climbing or whatever, but I would say roughly um, try to do mileage and, and kilometers if I can uh, for bike miles probably in that low 400 so maybe like 420 miles um running would be 65 to 70 so not not crazy volume on the run um, of mileage and then swimming about 25000 yards so a little less in meters um, and then that'd be about 100k so about 100 and 110k of running uh 700k of cycling can I give some background on that too for all the
2: younger athletes who are out there thinking, yep, yeah, I need to do that now before I go into an Ironman. Hoff is also excellent at doing proper off-seasons and proper breaks. So can you just touch on, I've always felt like part of the reason you could get through what you do is because you were very good at getting fat after a race.
1: <laughs> it's true, actually, yeah, the Hoff season is a real thing. And, uh, you know, I I, I haven't really... I guess, you know, I guess you always have a little insecurity about it, but it's, that's also kind of what drives the training when you come back is, is feeling the right level of insecurity and self-loathing. Um, so, you know, I, yeah, I always make sure I put myself in a little bit of a hole that way. And, uh, and it, it feels good, you know, I think it feels good to kind of reset and and maybe take a little bit of a break mentally and physically from, you know, the, the, I don't want to call it a daily grind because I do, I love it, you know, but, um, but yeah, it's a lot and it it takes a lot of mental energy, I think, and physical energy, obviously to get out the door every single day and to be really, really consistent during those Ironman blocks. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really do. I take, I take the time off and I let myself gain weight. Um, and it's usually, you know, at least six weeks, sometimes longer. I mean, this year, let's see, my last race was in October, um, in Oceanside and then, I really didn't start training properly until January 4th this year. Um, so it was a pretty, pretty solid break, uh, played some golf, you know, took a couple of trips with the family and there was some light training in there, some movement, but not, not really anything structured at all. And and nothing, um, that I I would consider real training. And I definitely put on probably, oh, I don't know, six, six or seven kilos, which is, you know, fair bit, 15 pounds, 10, 15 pounds. So, yeah.
0: I'm sure we'll come back to the, the training, but I'm actually really um, fascinated by this. And, and when um, when Reedy came on for episode one of this podcast, this was something that got a lot of feedback was how much weight Reedy would put on um, coming off uh, you know, his big race for the season um, before he came back for, for, for sort of his pre-season. I think Reedy mentioned that he might put on like anywhere up to eight kilos um, and sounds like you're pretty similar, Hoff. How do you do that? Is it just, okay, I've had my last race of the season. I'm just going to go you know, binge on junk food and sit on the couch and, <laughs> and, and eat everything I wish I could have eaten, you know, drank everything I wish I could have drank. Or is it just, is it more that you were so frail and skinny and skeleton like that, that even just by not training and, and eating the same, you sort of put on that weight again?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, it, I wouldn't say I'm like completely self-denying in season. I don't think that's the the approach for me or the healthy one, because I feel like when you're under, you know, incredible, training stress and uh, what you're putting your body through during Ironman training to add that other element of the, of the mental stress of always being like, Oh, I can't, I can't have chocolate. I can't do this. You know, it just, it adds another layer that that can just kind of push you over the edge or it might for me. So um, it's not that I, yeah, completely deny myself, you know, some of those pleasures during, during the actual training. Um, I actually think it's partially genetic actually, where, um it's it's quite easy for me to to gain weight um, with when when the training stops, you know, when it really, really slows down, um, my body just kind of springs back. I think it, it might almost be like a <laughs> an evolutionary thing where it's panicking a little bit, you know, like maybe I had the the throttle pretty wide open and and you know, maybe I was kind of, Pushing the body, you know, towards that edge, and uh, and as soon as it saw the opportunity or sees the opportunity to to spring back, it really packs it on, because um, it does. It seems to come on pretty easily, and I wouldn't say I'm like overboard, you know. Uh, and I, I've especially in the past, I could blame it on maybe drinking, um, you know, that that always kind of coincided with my off season was probably a little bit too much alcohol. Um, but but now I don't really drink much at all, hardly you know ever, and um, and it still comes on pretty easily. So I'm gonna blame it on genes the year that really
2: fascinates me in your career is 2018 and you mentioned Cape Epic. Um, can you talk about a bit about what, what happened there with Sebi, what, how you got involved and what happened to both of you guys following that, um, that event?
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy, man. I, you know, I, um, I think when I look back, what I remember is that in the fall of, 2017. So really right after Ironman Hawaii, I had finished ninth that year. And I think that was, you know, what happened to me in that race. I, I was convinced, um, you know, we talked about maybe keying off other people or paying attention to other people too much. I was keying off of Jan and, uh, and I thought, oh, I've got to be with him. I've got to be with him. And he ended up walking the marathon, um, with back problems and, I rode over biked completely, you know, trying to stay with him and managed to mostly do that coming into transition. Um, but it cost me any chance of a really good marathon. And so I was pretty, pretty cooked after that. I mean, ninth, wasn't the worst thing, but it wasn't really what I went there for. And I actually had thought I had much better fitness. I mean, for sure. Top five, you know, was in me that year with a, with a better executed race. Um, so yeah. And I, and at that point I was, let me think 10, 10 years into my professional career or maybe 11. And I just felt like I needed a break, you know, from, from everything or a little bit of a change. And so this opportunity with Ironman foundation came across my plate and they said, Hey, we're, we, we've taken over Cape Epic. We own it now. Ironman does. We'd like to, you know, extend this offer for you to race the event. And I was like, cause we know you mountain bike or whatever. And I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. You know, this is a perfect opportunity to train for something different and mix it up, you know, um, just basically give myself mentally a little bit of a reset. And I reached out to Sebi and I told him, I said, look, I'll do it, but I, there's only one person I want to do it with. I've got to make sure they want to do it with me. And it was Sebi I reached out to him and he was like, hell yeah, let's do this, um, right away. And, uh, I think he was in a similar position to me, you know, like a lot of years of just focusing on Kona. And, um, and so, yeah, he said, yes, we, we signed up for it, started training, and he actually went down to Stellenbosch and posted up for a few months, I think before the race and I flew over and I was super fit and, uh, you know, I was ready to go plan to do the double of Cape Epic and then Ironman South Africa and defend my title. And, uh, I ended up, yeah, we both got really sick before the race even started. Actually, we got a stomach bug and we were just, we had diarrhea. We were, you know, just not feeling good and depleted right from the beginning, but we, we raced hard and, you know, you know, we stayed in it and, uh, I had a heavy crash on one of the stages that really tweaked my back and, uh, yeah, ended up meaning that I kind of, I, I didn't put together a race at Ironman South Africa that, that was really, you know, a, a true Ironman performance. I kind of walked the marathon there. So it was a bit of an unraveling actually. Um, you know, it was kind of a, kind of a crazy, crazy choice that I think I don't regret it. I learned a lot. Um, I learned about a, a new level of suffering that I hadn't experienced for sure. Um, it was like a living nightmare for, you know, for, for most of that week. And, uh, yeah. And also just kind of like, it really did expand my horizons about, about what I thought was difficult. Um, so that was cool that way, but you know, I think it compromised that pretty much that whole season. Um, so yeah. And then in the fall of that year, I ended up with a stress fracture, that sacral stress fracture, which may or may not have been related to that crash. Um, it's impossible to really know. and, And the experts really couldn't tell me, um, but it's possible they were linked, um, and for Sebi, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he, he didn't also have his best season. He, he held it together a little bit better than me. Um, but yeah, I think it was one of those things that we both looked back and thought, well, maybe these are the kinds of things that you do when you're retired.
0: Yeah. So on that, we're obviously talking about, um, Cape Epic, which is like a multi-day stage race, um, mountain bike race, um, and, and Sebastian Kinlay and, and yourself, you know, two guys known as, as some of the best cyclists in the, in the sport of Ironman, um, do you think that because you two were doing it together, it led to uh, an element of, of overtraining or like were you doing too much because you were both thinking like, you know, you're thinking, fuck, I've got to keep up with Sebi and he's thinking, fuck, I've got to keep up with the Hoff. Um, and, and then like maybe during the race, you know, was it the same thing? Like because it was you two guys who had competed against each other for 10 years and, and knew how good the other one was, did it, did it lead to an element of sort of like pushing things a little too far?
1: That's a really good question. that I actually haven't thought about before ever. Um, but now that I reflect on it, you know, literally right now, thinking of it the first time, I would say it's possible for sure. I mean, I think, um, I know that Sebi was putting in serious training to get ready for it. I think we were both really nervous. You know, we wanted to kind of prove ourselves and make sure that people knew that triathletes could actually ride bikes, you know, and they weren't total gumbies. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, it was probably, it's definitely a possibility. I knew for myself, I knew how, I know how strong Sebby is on the bike. And I thought, wow, this is going to be difficult for me to stay with him. And, and my skills were better on the mountain bike. And that was my advantage. And I think he probably thought that, you know, from his end that, um, I've really got to work on this and be, be prepared that way. So yeah, it's certainly possible that, that, that led us to maybe overtrain a little bit and then push, I don't know, harder than maybe we otherwise would have because of our race history and everything else. But I would say overall mm, the dynamic with us was pretty positive. Like, I think we really were good teammates. I mean, you know, you have to really be invested in the person that you're racing with there and you have to really be on the same page, um, just to get through it. And, uh, and I would say we were really that way during, during that week. So, um, yeah, it's not like, you know, I think, I think that race can either, really make friendships deeper or destroy them entirely. And I think we walked away better friends. So if that answers the question.
0: Yeah. And I've got another sort of just, it's not really related to that, but it sort of is at the same time. And it's something I'm really curious about. Um, You're obviously at the top of your sport, Reedy, you're at the top of the same sport. And and so, so is a guy like Sebastian Kinlay. And, and you talk about you two being friends and it's very clear that, that you and Reedy here have a great, great relationship, but how much of of sort of top end professional triathlon is that where you're all just, you know, good friends who, who, because your training is, you know, it's so, so much time spent by yourself and and thinking about your own thing. You don't really develop rivalries or, or, you know, start hating each other. Like off air, we were talking about um, fighting MMA where obviously you're going in there to compete against another man. And to a degree, you have to build some animosity towards the people you're competing against. And, and does that sort of flow, like, does that sort of thing happen in, in Ironman triathlon? Like during a race, is there much shit talk? Are, have you ever had any run-ins with any people on 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 the race course, Ben? Or or is it just not, not in? like, is that just not a part of the sport?
1: Uh, I mean, it is, you know, but it's usually heat of the moment stuff in a race where somebody is definitely drafting off you and you turn around and, you know, you know, yell at them a little bit or whatever it is. or But even that, man, even that, I feel like I've learned over the years where you're like, if you're doing that your race is fucked, you know, like you're, you're just not going to be in the right head space to perform. You're focused on the wrong thing. Right. Um, So uh, yeah. And I mean, at the top level of the sport, I don't know how Reedy feels about it, but I would say most of the guys. Yeah. I mean, I think it's sort of like a mutual respect, right. Where you just know that um, you've put the work in for sure the, the training. Right. And then you've managed to execute on the days that matter Um, You've won races, which is difficult enough. And then in a lot of cases, like for Reedy, you know, a world title, um, which is sort of the ultimate, you know, test. And yeah, I would say it isn't really that way for me. A lot of the time I look around and I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, my, my peers necessarily. Um, But when I do, it's generally pretty positive. I mean, I think, you know, we're all kind of living in the same kind of existence and, and chasing the same kind of goals. And, and typically it's a feeling of respect. Now I would say sometimes there, you know, I mean, not to be like a curmudgeon or something, but I think there is maybe like a little bit of me that feels sometimes like you see a guy who's like new on the scene and younger and really has no clue at all. And uh, you know, and they're calling themselves a pro triathlete and and their immediate community is like, Oh wow, you're a pro triathlete, you know? And, (laughs) and it's like, I feel like that's where I'm kind of like, you you and I are not shooting at the same basket, you know, and, uh, you need to put your time in basically before you can, I don't know, kind of go around, you know, flaunting your, your elite license or whatever it is. So, um, but that, that's about the extent of it for me. I mean, I, again, I I know I'm a little bit vanilla that way. Probably you'd like to hear me say that I hate a bunch of guys out there and, you know, and and I, and I, and I want to kill them or whatever, but and on race day, I do, man. On race day, there are no friends, really. You know, you want to go out there and beat everybody. Um, but really, as soon as you cross the line, too, it's the same way. It's like we all just used it up and, you know, you kind of have that that mutual understanding, I think.
0: Yeah, you touched on something that I find pretty funny about the sport of triathlon there, and that's the sort of the newbie pro who, who is acting like the, you know, uh, a glamorous triathlete making a lot of money. And, and even more than that, uh, I think something that sort of uh, – really prevalent in triathlon is 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 the the pro age grouper as well who probably even acts like you know even more that way and and will post on their instagram that they just came second in a race that that actually you came second in and they actually came 54th or, or whatever it is so that does uh that does find its way into triathlon doesn't it
1: yeah let's not skip over this i want to hear edyn though too <laughs> i was actually i was actually distracted thinking about my next question <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah we, we need you to tell us some stories of how how many people you hate in a sport no i mean do you think there's like pretty good camaraderie amongst the the professionals
2: oh uh, so i i was agreeing with you before i feel like you you become companions you develop a strong companionship with people that you've mutually suffered with and i agreed with exactly what you said in that uh there's for me there's not many guys that i've been able to hate too long out of the sport um in, in the sport, you know, like I've had small little uh, disagreements along the way, but it's just, it's just too, it's too tough a sport. And, and it's funny you say that, like when I said to people at the end of last year, when I was really struggling with fatigue, I said, I'm going to pull back. I'm going to focus more on coaching, race a bit less, but still try and race well in a, in a few races. Every single pro was like totally understand. And um whereas every age grouper and non-athlete was like what do you mean you're gonna not try and get sponsorship and you're not gonna like they just couldn't get their heads around it but athletes just get it they get each other and and they know what we're all going through um just i'm just going to shift this conversation a little bit off because i'm a little bit worried about your sex life
0: i am too for the record Uh, i have two children
2: i don't know why you're so worried
0: (laughs) so you've had sex twice that's
2: because of the hot season I know athletes that I coach you do pretty much half of what you do there's, there's a common complaint is I've totally lost my sex drive is Ironman training and
1: sex mutually exclusive or can it still can it still happen uh, I mean it is a good really good question and I'm not sure I'm the expert you know to talk about it I can only talk about my own experience and Um, hopefully Kelsey doesn't (laughs) listen to this, this podcast, um, but no, I mean, I, I, I think for myself, you know, it is a bit of a, yeah, they're not, not super compatible. Like I would say, I don't have nearly the sex that I have, you know, in more of an off season or an off period or a lower volume period than, than I do when I'm training really hard. And I remember seeing something actually that you had posted where you had said, um, you know, let, let your sex drive be your guide about you know, whether you're training too hard. And that's when I knew, um, that you would never make it as an Ironman athlete. Um, (laughs) because I figured, you know, you're probably prioritizing the wrong thing, but, um, no, I, 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 to be that that's being totally transparent. And, uh, you know, it is, it's just kind of one of those things where it does, it falls by the wayside a little bit during my most intense training, but, um, but no, I mean, we, we do manage to, you know, keep our sex life as a priority the best we can while navigating my goals as an Ironman athlete. So um, that's the best way I can describe that, I guess. Yeah. Thanks for that. And you did say, you you know,
2: you do have two beautiful young children now. What's, how's that changed? How's that changed pro-life? I know that's a really cliche question, but you know, without making it all glossy and beautiful, um, was it a struggle for you to just learn that
1: your free time is suddenly disappearing? I mean, absolutely. Uh, I remember seeing other people go through this, uh, yourself included. And, and I guess, you know, you, uh, m- maybe not everyone is like this. Maybe other people are way more compassionate understanding than I have, <laughs> but I remember <laughs> thinking like, I can probably handle this a lot better than those people can. Um, and you know, they're just being weak or, you know, dramatic or something. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, and I, and I don't think I, And I think the thing with children is that it's such a comprehensive, it it takes over, like permeates every aspect of your life and partially because you want it to, but partially because it's unavoidable, um, that there's not a lot of other things in your life that are that way. Right. Um, usually things that you take on that are big changes are things that you can either reverse or slightly change or alter in some way, but kids are very much like full on, um, big, big change that you can't really alter that dramatically um for like 18 years probably right so yeah i think there's no way to really mentally prepare yourself for for the changes that happen and and it's just an ongoing adjustment and and sort of recalibration process that happens and i wouldn't say i'm the best at it what i would say is that i'm very fortunate to have a really strong and capable partner who takes a lot of the load that way and i do think i would also say this quickly that i think unfortunately Um, societally probably we've created a structure where women are sort of like you know I remember seeing something where actually somebody said oh we call women like superheroes so that we can like kind of help you know cover up the fact that they're like forced into this position of being mothers and like taking care of everything on that end you know and uh, it's like our little way of like being like oh you're so strong and good and awesome you know so I don't want to sound that way because it minimizes I think what they do but um, Kelsey is amazing and she really spearheads the effort that way. But there's no question too, that, you know, I'm way (laughs) invested and involved too. And, and as you said, the free moments, the relaxation periods where I used to watch dumb TV shows maybe and sit around on the couch, uh, they really just don't happen anymore. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a new, new and different world, but one that I would not, you know, um, change at all.
0: It's funny. You say that just, just then Hoff, that you don't really have time to uh, sit down or lay down on the couch anymore, but tim you know he's a he's a dad as well he has he has three kids and and he's just recently uh purchased a couch desk so that he never has to leave his couch he sits there on his couch with a desk and does everything laying on the couch so i don't know maybe you and you and reedy are just just parenting a little differently
2: Uh, the only way i can justify being on the couch is if i'm making money so it's not it's not watching dumb tv shows it's um it's online poker it's offering brilliant <laughs> coaching advice. <laughs> um, and also I guess you you will be a long time retired after this. So there's plenty of payback for Kelsey to get and you can become the home Superman very soon in the next few years, I'm assuming.
1: I mean, it's certainly a possibility. You know, I think, um, one of the questions that you fired over was, and you kind of touched on it. I'm very, very old now. I'm very old and frail. And you know, <laughs> the end is near obviously in my career. Um, so yeah, I mean, what's next, right? And, and I, I, I get this question often as, as probably a lot of professional athletes do that they get closer to the end of their career. But uh, you know, the answer that I've sort of developed is that I really don't know. And, um, and I pretty, pretty well embraced that, uh, that I, you know, don't, I just don't know. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, one of them is that I have a lot of things I'm interested in. Um, and another one is that you just don't know what happens in life. You know, it's really difficult to predict who you're gonna meet. What opportunities might come across your plate? I mean, I think back to six months, a year ago, and just all the things that have happened, the people I've met, the opportunities that I, you know, have taken and and also turned down. Um, so, yeah, I think the main thing for me um, is going to be to figure out a way to hopefully, you know, maintain some semblance of a lifestyle that I've gotten really used to, and the and the at least the illusion of of you know having a lot of control over my time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think. Um, I don't have an answer yet of what I'm going to do. I think I probably will, you know, at least initially play around in the industry and maybe with coaching and stuff like that to see if it, if it suits me. Um, but you know, I'm not also sure that, that I would be the best coach, at least not for everyone. Right. Not for the average person. I think my mind definitely goes more towards high performance and, um, you know, probably more on the professional side or, or at least the, you know, top amateurs out there. So we'll see
0: hey Hoff how much time do you actually spend thinking about this like surely you're still so good and, and you're still going to be at the pointy end of races this year surely you're not really thinking about the future surely you're just you're just all in on on you know these two races for the year that you you know you want to win a world championship you've never you've never won an Ironman world championship surely you're not thinking about like coaching or you know corporate life after this surely you're just all in on
1: those I mean, right now I truly am, Um, but, you know, I'm also 38 years old. And I think inevitably, right. I mean, you, it's like the comparison thing. I mean, inevitably you do compare yourself to people. I think it's more just that as you start to go down that road, you know, how much time are you spending on it? And I can honestly say that I don't spend a lot of time on it because I'm pretty happy with that answer that I just gave you. It's the one I default to, and it's actually a pretty short story, right? I mean, it's, I don't know. And when I say that, I really mean it. And so, therefore, I can move back to what I do know, which is that I'm hopefully racing these two world championships and, you know, going to give my very best for them because I still feel like I can deliver really top results. And I think I can be competitive, you know, uh, for at least this year and probably next. Um, And then I think it's a question, too, also that, you know, it's not just about whether I'm physically able or not. I mean, I think I could probably you know, maybe pull a brownie and go into my fifties. Um, but you know, I, am not sure that's what I want to do. And, uh, and that might sound kind of privileged, but you know, um, yeah, I'm just not certain that as good of a life as this is, you know, I do have other things that I'm interested in and I'm not sure that I want my sex life to be compromised and that I want (laughs) to be, you know, tired for my children, you know, for the rest of my life or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, there, there comes that time too, where, yeah, whether you're, actively thinking about it it kind of just happens that you that you start to think about it that it just happens right it just kind of dawns on you that it's time for a change
0: yeah and and like let's let's just go back to that that topic of sex for a second because i actually am really fascinated about this and and didn't get sort of much input in it but some like a, a Firstly, Reedy, really, a question. So, like, one of my favourite quotes we've ever had on this podcast is by Steve McKenna, who is an athlete coach by Reedy. Did he get that from you, Reedy? Where he said that if you can't get a bone and you're training too hard, is that where that stems from?
2: I did. I, I, I have talked to a lot <laughs> of athletes about that. How it's an important way of knowing you've had enough sleep is, and you're recovered is. The morning glory is uh, is just a good sign that your hormones are on track and you're not overly um, overtrained. So. I don't know if he specifically got it from me, but we've definitely discussed it before. Um, yeah, right. So I think, I think it's not a bad guide. There's a lot of other guides. But like Hoff mentioned too, Ironman is such a, uh, a such a brutal sport and distance that I don't know if there's a way to maintain perfect health and train for an Ironman if you want to try and win one. You have to compromise on things and push the boundaries a little bit, so yeah. Uh, but certainly for guys racing 70.3s, that's a pretty good rule of thumb because the speed and the the hormones are so important to just recover day in day
1: out from that higher intensity. But yeah, and I think I, I would chime in quickly too on on two just kind of two things that you, you said there. But um, the the first one being the idea uh, the concept of balance, right? I mean, I think or health rather. You know, I mean, I think that's also something that you hear thrown around a lot with with discussion of. <laughs> training in Ironman and whatever else in, in life in general around the sport, but it's such a joke in a way, you know, I mean, like when you're, what you're doing is probably not actually healthy. Right. I mean, um, I don't think that human bodies were designed to exercise, you know, five to seven hours a day, uh, you know, pretty much nonstop and then go do these crazy endurance events. I mean, we're capable of doing it, but I don't think we fully understand what the consequences might be. I think it's probably more healthy than sitting on the couch. Um, But you know, also the idea of like optimal health, right? I mean, what does that even really mean? I think that opens a whole another you know, kind of can of worms where it's like, and we're also also chasing that all the time. I mean, I think whether we admit it or not, you see you're constantly bombarded by ads and things that are telling you that you need this supplement, this thing, this thing to be happier, healthier, whatever. And, you know, that's assuming that you're not already, you know, close to being optimal for yourself. And and again, what is optimal, right? I mean, it's kind of this illusion. it's this nebulous thing that we're all chasing, but it might not even be real. So, and,
2: and I think that extends to almost any uh, area of life or industry or other sports. Like there is no one at the top of their game in something, whether it be the absolute best car mechanic in the world or the best ping pong player or whatever it is they can't, you can't be the best at something and keep balance in the rest of your life. It just doesn't happen to get to that very pointy end. Uh, it's just not, it's, it's just other things have to be compromised. And I'm glad you touched on that half. I think it's a really important point.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's extreme, ex- extreme behavior and yeah. And it's because you have a goal and a mission and, you know, a singular focus, but I think that's also the beauty, um, kind of to, to tie these two topics together about retirement, et cetera, is that, you know, for us, one of the great things about this career that I think of as being a real advantage is that, you know, it's finite. Um, and I think that makes you work harder you know, to maximize it while you can. Um, and also it's kind of liberating in a way because, you know, something new is coming, you know, if you have the right mindset about it, at least, um, you know, a lot of people might be fearful, but I'm excited about what's next. I mean, the world is, is huge and it's, you know, there's so many opportunities out there. So, Um, I look forward to whatever is next with excitement, not trepidation, but yeah. And, uh, and as far as the training stuff goes too, I mean, we haven't talked a lot about the specifics of training, but I think one thing that's really interesting kind of off, you know, to spin off of this is the idea, right. Of optimization. I mean, everything you've done before probably affects what you're doing moving forward. And you always believe you can be better, you know, depending on what your mindset is as an athlete. Um, but you're never really going to know. Right. I mean which is kind of weird. You're never going to know if you actually like reached your potential, whatever that even means. Um, you know, or you're as good as you could be because there's a million things that you could have tried and and maybe they would have made you better. Um, you know, and to assume that you got it completely right, uh, just because you went fast at a race and beat some people is, I don't know, a little bit of a cavalier attitude, I think.
0: That's a real like, interesting point. I, I'll come back to that, but Reedy, do you reckon that the world's best table tennis player would be affin- offended that you just called him the world's best ping pong player?
2: <laughs> it shows my naivety in that sport. I apologize to all the um, table tennis players out there. I know, I know you've got a huge table tennis fan base.
0: Ping pong just makes it sound like such a stupid sport, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> Something fresh out of Thailand. Yeah. yeah. Like
0: me and my grandma play ping pong. We don't play table tennis, you know? <laughs> uh, hey, uh, Hoff, on that, I, I am actually really fascinated by that. Um, that point of of is what you're doing what will actually get the best results for you that like i don't think that gets talked about enough and i think the role of a like a really good coach like say reedy reedy's probably the best coach we've got in in triathlon in australia like that's what the benefit to going to a guy like him who's been there done it seen it can sort of make judgment calls for you but you know like not everyone has that like that like you know, a lot of people are just going out there and trying things. And, and it's just interesting to, to think like, Hey, if I did things differently, would I have got different results? Could I have been yarn for Dino, for example, um, if I did things differently and, and like, how do you go? Like, do you ever, you obviously have thought about that. Do you ever think about it, you know, with, with like, um, like the the lens of thinking i should have done things differently or are you just confident that what you have done has been right for you
1: oh uh, i mean that's a great question and i think uh it doesn't have a totally easy answer but to quickly to answer your question even though it was rhetorical you, you could not be on for Dana. um but yeah anyway to move on <laughs> and, uh, that was a little dig by the way yeah the that was just a at man <laughs> No uh, I think I think it's kind of one of those things right where if you're you have to commit to what you're doing, right I mean you can get so stuck in in action if you spin your wheels all day doing that right Because you can question everything you can say, oh, should I drink this now or what if I did it later and then you don't drink it at all or you know whatever It's like you got to do something right you've got to commit to it and you've got to believe in it enough to get it done and uh, and then you take, feedback, you know, you, you measure things, um, you pay attention, you be mindful along the way to what, again, makes you happy, what you're enjoying, um, what gets the the best out of you, uh, you know, compared to your previous self or other times that you've tried other things. And, and then, yeah, you accept the, the reality that you'll never know a completely crystal clear answer to, you know, is this the perfect thing for me? And I, to, you know, to go to Reedy as a coach that you were talking about, I mean, one of his skills and one of the things I think that he probably does well, and a lot of coaches do well, is that they also let the athlete steer the ship somewhat, right? Because they're the ones living the life and they're the ones that know, and actually people are smarter than you often give them credit for um, when it comes to intuition and understanding of their own, own life and what they need. And if you figure out the right ways and avenues to allow them to communicate that to you, then, you know, they're able to do part of that coaching job for you probably. So, and I'm not a coach, but I I would assume that that's probably the case. No,
2: I think you're right, Hoff. Part of some athletes really just need to make the mistakes as well. Uh, You know, Steve McKenna is a classic example. He's he's a lot like me in that he'll listen to the advice and then sometimes... just want to try something anyway and you know no one made more mistakes than me and but then he he learns quickly and he adapts and and it's a lot easier than for him to to just give him that space to do it and and make you know i guess amend it from there
0: hey hoff um I, i'm a bit cautious that that we're taking up a lot of your time but one thing I've, i have been curious about with you and it's it's maybe because of the way reedy has talked to me about you um And it's sort of built like a little bit of um, admiration on my end towards you, even though you just, you know, told me I couldn't have been young for Dino. uh, We'll move on past that. But like, um, what is like the session that you've done that you've just looked back on and thought that's the best session I've ever done?
1: I mean, I wasn't totally prepared for this question. I mean, I, I would actually say it was a race probably. Is that okay to say that? Um, I think I actually got the best out of myself in terms of execution. I mean, at Ironman South Africa in 2019 and, um, everything uh, went well, right. I mean, we did have a shortened swim, but I would have been there no matter what I was in the pack. I was right where I needed to be. I mean, I could have turned my arms over for another 20 minutes or whatever it would have been, you know, I mean, that wasn't an issue. And then I got on the bike and I felt like 10 men and, uh, I just dictated the pace all day. I kept attacking and attacking. I broke away at the end. Um, you know, and then I ran an extremely solid marathon, I think, you know, low two forties and not super shoes, um, actually. Um, so it was just kind of this perfect day where I was like, damn, that is exactly how I want to feel every time. And, uh, you know, in terms of sessions though, I mean, yeah, the, the lead up to that race, I had a couple of them and they weren't, they weren't even like really completely mind boggling probably. Right. I mean, once again, let's really drive home. I think one thing that people hate to hear, but it's really the cornerstone of everything, which is consistency. Um, one thing I'm really good at is, is getting in the work, you know, day after day, week after week, month after month in the lead up and really year after year too. you know, throughout my career, I've only had a few major setbacks in terms of injury. Um, but when I look back at that training cycle in particular, there was one day where I was headed out for the group ride. And this is a mindset thing too, but I went out for a ride thinking, I'm going to do this long day. It was about 250 K started out with the group ride and it was, it had snowed the night before actually, which is rare for Tucson. And, uh, there was some ice on the road and there's a group that goes, it's called the old man shootout that leaves before the normal shootout. And we got to this point up the road and we saw this group coming back to us and they were like, Oh, the road's icy. You can't go, you know? And we were, and I was like, uh, I'm going, (laughs) you know, like, I don't care. And, uh, everyone turned around in my group too, in the main shootout group and went back and I just went on and I was like, I'm so psyched on training right now. I just want to be out here. I want to smash myself. I'm going to push the pace and like ride this 250 K by myself. And I don't care. And, uh, it was a tough day. It was cold, but I did it and like, you know, got through it. And I rode it really fast. I mean, I think I averaged like almost 40, you know, 40 K an hour for the whole thing. It was crazy. I mean, may have been a favorable win at the end, but we don't need to mention that. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I smashed it and did a little run off the bike and I was like, okay, I'm ready. You know, and that was right around that three week out mark, um, from the race. So, yeah. And then other races, you know, other sessions that I do that really give me a lot of confidence are some of the longer brick workouts. And then also the double run days that I do, which are kind of the, yeah, I would say some of the bread and butter, um, workouts that I do that give me a lot of confidence where I'll do two 20 K runs, you know, that are both pretty damn solid um they both have about 5k of pretty pretty solid pace work in them um you know about and the rest of it is is closer to you know kind of tempo work so the whole thing is ends up being pretty pretty quick
2: i remember talking to guys hoff in that ironman south africa race and just talking about your ride that day and just just saying holy hell like they were just blown away was that was that power output as good as what you've done in a 70.3 um like were they pretty much the same as as your best 70.3 which is half the distance for any non-triathlon listeners
1: yeah they were pretty close I mean still a little bit lower um but yeah I mean I was I was pushing re- extremely good power that day and I just like I said I felt in total command and control and uh you know I one thing actually again I, I keep I, you know I, I think mindset's so important and just there's certain things that you can't you can't really you can't create things, you can't fabricate, you know, the perfect environment, right? It almost just kind of has to happen sometimes. And you don't always know how, how it's going to, or, I mean, generally when you get in really good shape and you're ready for a race and you're looking at like an opportunity, you tend to see things through like, you know, that kind of rose, you know, tinted lens or whatever. Um, you, You tend to see things as positives more so than negatives, but I remember that, that Sebby actually sent me a text message or a voice message or whatever it was on um, WhatsApp the night before that race in South Africa. And he was like, he was like, all right, man. He's like, this is what it's all about. Like you, this is what you want to do. You just want to go out there and fucking suffer like a dog, you know, like you just want to go out there and just destroy yourself. And I was like, that is exactly right. <laughs> That's like, all I want to do because I just had the shittiest year of my entire life in racing in 2018. And I had to sit on my ass for like six or eight weeks on the couch, you know, while my bone healed, um, from that stress fracture. And yeah, I, you know, once I got done feeling you know, bad for myself and throwing that pity party, all I wanted to do is train and get out there and just smash races, you know, and push myself as hard as I could. And and that's exactly what I did. And I was thinking about it all day. I was like, "This is exactly what I want to do. There's nowhere else I want to be, and there's nothing else I want to do right now except like express, you know, all of this work that I've done." So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of you know what it what it's all about. And again, it's hard to replicate that all the time. Um, but I think if you can carry that into races, you're going to do well.
0: That's um that's like a really really like um, awesome story. That Sebi story, and it reminds me of. Uh of my favorite, probably my favorite quote or interview in triathlon history where Sebastian Kinlay won a race and the interviewer asked him like, Sebastian, what was going through your head in the, in the final kil- kilometers of, of, of that run? I think he was in a battle with Lionel Sanders from memory. And he said, uh, he's like, like, he's like, to be honest with you, fucking kill yourself. I'd rather fucking die than lose this race. And, uh, and <laughs> it's sort of funny cause it seems like maybe that's where your head was at in the South Africa, uh, Ironman as well
1: definitely yeah i mean i think you you can't always go there you know i mean it's you might only have a handful of those and maybe other people are better at tapping into that or something but i yeah I, I don't think it's something you can always yeah conjure up i guess but that's ideally what you do is you kind of you race completely unafraid you know you you go out there and you just say like i don't actually care like if i die or if like you know i completely implode and explode. Like, I just don't care, you know, and you play with that edge. And, um, and that's probably where you're going to get the most out of yourself. I mean, it's a little dangerous sometimes, but you know, it's also kind of one of those things where I think people tend to sell themselves short. Right. I mean, you, you don't often know what you're actually capable of. You, you probably put limitations on yourself that really aren't real. And um, yeah, it's moments like that where you kind of reset it and break through a little bit.
0: It's completely insane to, I reckon, the non-professional triathlete or, or maybe, you know, cyclist or runner is the idea that, that you're willing to die in that race. When you say that, is it a little bit of exaggeration or, or are you truly, like, let's say, for example, the, at the Ironman World Championships this year, if it, if it comes down to it, like, I, we you talked about Maka before. Um, he came on the podcast and, and he talked about his battle with Andreas Raylert at Kona and he said, look, I, I was, I was willing to die. I was thinking I, I, I could feel my kidney shutting down and, I, and he just had this thought to where to himself, where he, he remembered thinking like, fuck it, I'll die before I lose this race. Are you actually going there? Uh, like when push comes to shove and, and you're in a battle uh, at St. George this year, you know, for the podium, for the win, will you actually be thinking like, fuck it, I'll die before I, before I give up on this race?
1: I mean, wow. That's uh, yeah. I mean, I think you are, but it takes that, right. It takes being in that position to be there because as we know, I mean, it's much harder probably to get into that mindset. If you're 15 minutes down off the bike and you're chasing these guys, I mean, if you really believe you can run 20 minutes into everyone and win the race, you know, then that's different, but I think you do, you have to be in that moment. And then when you are, yeah, you're, you're literally are in that moment and you say, you're, you're not thinking about anything else. You can't think about anything else. I mean, it's so visceral and, you know, it's so real that, yeah, you know, and I, and I think you have to do that. And most of these big races, you probably have to be prepared to go to that place where even though I have children and let's be honest, I mean, I'd like to watch them grow up. Um, you know, I think, yeah, when, when, and if you're in that situation, it's so yeah, special. And like, unlikely that you'll be in it that many times ever, you know, maybe never again that you kind of have to seize it, um, with, with that mindset, I think.
0: Yeah. It's crazy to me. I actually like, um, I'm just sitting back thinking like this sport is, is wild. The fact that you even have to think about that. Um, yeah, it's insane. It's, it's actually something I really struggle to wrap my head around that, that that's the the depths that people are willing to go and, and I, I know that a lot of people talk about you Hoff as, as, a, as a tough man of the sport and and Reedy, someone who I talk to most days, he, uh, he's definitely someone who describes you like that. And, and I guess that's why a, a big reason why we decided to, to do, you know, mine and Reedy's first episode co-hosting with you is because um, the admiration that Reedy does have for you and, and, and has sort of rubbed off on me a little bit. And so to hear you say something like that doesn't really surprise me, but it still does sort of, it, it, I, I can't quite get myself there and it's insane. And, and it's why I have so much respect for, for people like yourself and, um, and, and anyone who, who's willing to put it on the line at the, the professional level for, for Ironman racing. It's a, it's a crazy sport.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, I never thought I would be doing this for a career. And, and of course now I can't imagine, you know, a life without it. And, uh, and actually I'm really glad that, you know, we, that we just talked about that because what I would say is kind of like an extension of that too. You know, I, I, you have to be in that moment and, and yet you also have to prepare just like you do in training, you know, for the potential scenarios, you have to prepare yourself for that. So I'm really glad that you made me think about that because yeah, I mean, it gets me fired up, you know, and, and I hope I can put myself in that position. And if I do, I'm going to be true to my word and yeah, I mean, I'm going to risk it. You know, I'm going to, go all in and, and be willing. Yeah. To, to die for, you know, the win. So I hope I can, I hope I can be there. I hope I can be in that place where it, you know, it opens the door for that mindset, you know, that I can tap into it.
0: Yeah. This might be a really like sort of morbid thing to say, but, but if this does happen, we can just play this clip at your funeral. And people can be like, Oh, well he died doing what he loved.
1: <laughs> he wanted, I was going to say, I really this. hope you don't die in St. George. I'll, I'll be really sad. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I, I know. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, if it happens, it happens. I mean, it's not something that I will say. This kind of a little bit as an aside, but also on topic too. Um, I've been sharing this with people, but there's a there's a thing called the Daily Stoic, you know, and um, it's this email that I signed up for. This guy Ryan Holiday puts out, and anyway, the Stoic philosophy, you know, a lot of it centers around that actually, where you use, and I mean, this is nothing new. I mean, this is Eastern philosophy as well, but. uh you, you spend time, right. Each day thinking about your own mortality and, and ideally it makes you more engaged with your life. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm not trying to die. I mean, that's not my intention, but, uh, you know, I think it's important to, to meditate on it a little bit because it should make your life more rich, you know, and, and should make you more appreciative for what's a pretty, I don't know, fast and fleeting life actually that we all have, um, in front of us.
0: Yeah. I reckon this is like a great note to end this conversation on. Um, that was an, it was an awesome chat. And I know that like, like I said, it's pretty morbid, but it's also pretty like motivating. Uh, and it does make you sort of think about, you know, what's important to you and and just life in general. So I, I think that's a, a really great note to end on. Um, but like Reedy, I do hope you don't die anytime soon, Hoff. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like to see you uh, live a long and happy life, But but thanks for taking us to that spot.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing another one of these, actually. It was kind of fun to chat with you guys, so I appreciate you having me on. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I, you know, maybe it is a little bit hyperbole. I don't want to be, you know, I don't, I don't want to, again, gloss over the fact that I have a lot of other important things in my life, and namely my children and my wife, you know, and things that I care about outside of the sport of triathlon that, you know, let's be honest, is kind of a made-up sport. But, um, yeah, you know, I think I, I still really would like to do something special, you know, um, in my racing and, you know, before I'm done. And so, uh, yeah, and it's going to take that, you know, it's going to take that mindset and, and again, tapping into that, I think in order t- for me to pr- produce that race. Uh, so yeah, it's that balance, but, uh, in, in reality, it's ex- really actually not balanced at all, complete and utter insanity.
0: You already have done some pretty special things in this in this sport. There's no doubt about you. That's why we've got you on, and and that's why we're so privileged to have you on. But but yeah, after having this chat with you, I'd love to see you do something special this year as well. And and I know Reedy thinks this, but you've definitely got it in you. So it's um yeah, it'll it'll just be it would be like a nice little icing on on the cake of your career if if you do. You know, have a big year this year, and and I hope you do. And, and and I hope this chat has somehow motivated you just a little bit to to go out there and train just that little bit harder. And and then, uh, yeah, no, another point on the the not dying. You've got so much sex to have after your Man career that, that you just cannot <laughs> make up you cannot them. die out there. You yeah. need that. You've deserved it.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, that's a good point. Well, if you guys believe in me, that's all I need. So. Thanks. <laughs> You've
0: got me and Reedy behind you. Hey, let's wrap up there boys. <laughs> a fun chat. Really good chat. It was uh, it was great getting to know you a little bit Hoff. And and yeah, like, like I said, I meant what I said. I, I, I really want to see you do well this year and, and, um, and you're a great guy. So thanks for jumping on. And, and, and it was a privilege having that chat.
1: Yeah, definitely appreciate it guys. Thanks.
0: And well done, Reedy. First episode co-hosting, you did well.
2: Oh, thanks Jack. It was hard to know. Um, it's hard not seeing you because i should be able to give you a signal now nah, you go and you could say now nah, you go so i'm just sort
1: of like imagining whether you've got a question or not Which <laughs> i actually thought about that but i mean i thought it went pretty smooth to be perfectly honest and uh you know the only real fuck up was when reedy was like looking at instagram or whatever the hell he was doing what happened there reedy? that was
0: fun <laughs> chat and you just didn't even and hoff, hoff shot to you and then you were just silent <laughs>
2: I'd already listened to that bit. And then I was like, how am I going to phrase this sex question? And I just ran it through my head. And then, right at that moment, you crossed to me with a question. I'm like, you're not supposed to ask me questions. Fuck off. Yeah. And on top of
1: that, you are probably, because you were thinking about sex and because you don't train that hard, Reedy, you're probably looking at porn now. Reedy really was about it. I was just scrolling through photos of Hoff raking. <laughs> you're on my cat. You're on the caffeine page. <laughs> yeah.
0: You might have started a segment here, Hoff, going forward with episodes with Reedy. Reedy's like sex tip of the week or something like that.
2: Hey, I spent, I've had three kids and I did Iron Man uh, with a breastfeeding wife for most of that time. I've had less sex than anyone, so don't take any advice from me. <laughs>